Evening, everyone. It's great to see you tonight. Thanks for being here for the second night of our community Bible study. We appreciate your interest in important spiritual truths, things that are really pertinent in our present-day world, unfortunately. And uh, we need we need this information, and we need to be ready to live our lives appropriately and share such information with others as we can. Thank you for being here tonight. I won't do all of the same intro that we did last night, just mention that this is the seventh year of our community Bible study, and uh, we appreciate the fact that folks look forward to this and, and join us each year as we gather together to study from the Word of God. This year our topic is a sensitive one. We have Art Adams, who's come to us all the way from Indiana, to speak to us about pornography. Art has a long list of credentials. He's a certified counselor in a host of different ways. I won't enumerate those all again tonight. But he's also a very powerful and effective gospel preacher. And so when you combine those two things together, we've got a fellow here who knows what he's talking about and can inform us about this important subject. We urge you to listen very carefully to what he has to say. Just a few announcements as we begin the restrooms, if you're in need of those, are in that back corner of the auditorium. Go through the door, and the ladies to the left, and the men is back to the right. Uh, if, if you need those facilities, notice, obviously, where the exits are. There to the front of the building, here to the back of the building. We certainly hope we don't have any need for those. Because this is a really sensitive topic, and we understand that. We knew that when we chose this topic for this year's community Bible study. But because some of the things that will be said tonight may certainly be inappropriate for our younger children, some of the ladies of the church made a plan, and it really worked well last night. We look forward to it again tonight. Uh, I mentioned uh, Diana and Penny Mead, uh, Nikki Gwynn, uh, uh, Amy Mayberry. I'm seeing, I think those are the four who are primarily responsible for conducting a Bible class for our younger children in the, in the room upstairs that you can observe through those windows. They're having a special Bible study for uh, the younger children. So parents, use your discretion. We're suggesting something along the lines of 10 and younger to go to that special Bible class. And so if, if it's okay with you, right at this time, we'll dismiss those children to that class. The ladies are standing there in the back, and they'll escort them to their special Bible class. Got a lot of kids. That's a one. That's a wonderful blessing. All right. As you were coming in, you should have been given a card that looks like this, and we want you to use it for two purposes. One is there's a rather large blank section in the middle of that card, and that's for you to write out a question or questions that you might have. As the presentation is underway, if you have some question that comes to mind, if you'll write that down, at the end of the presentation, we'll collect those cards. We'll give Art just a, a moment or two to look them over, and then we'll put him on the spot to answer your questions sort of on the fly. That was very good last night. We had some really good questions last night. So if you have questions, write them there. We'll collect these cards later. At the bottom, there's a place for you to write your name and address. 
If you'd like a hard copy of the audio CDs, we will make those as quick as we can after the event closes and we'll stick them in the mail to you. But if you will write your name and address, if, if you're interested, if you want the audio CDs, just write your name and address there and we'll get those in the mail to you. No charge. We'd be glad for you to have them. Anybody need a card? Anybody need a card didn't get one? Raise your hand. Okay, good. All right, I think that covers all of the things that we need to cover. We're, again, uh, thankful that you have chosen to come. We look forward to the discussion. Understand, as we said last night, this is pretty explicit information. Uh, we wish it didn't even have to be discussed, but it obviously does have to be discussed in a world like the one that we live in. And so uh, please understand that that's the nature of this discussion, uh, and let's be ready to... Search it out in the scriptures as well. Before we begin, let's have a quick word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we come before you, Father, thankful for this day, for all of the good blessings of life that you have showered upon us. We thank you most that you would send your own beloved son, Jesus, to be a sacrifice for the sins of the world, that we through him can have a hope of eternity in heaven if we will obey your will. Father, we're thankful for this time that we have to come together in this community Bible study. We're thankful that so many have an interest in spiritual things that brings them here tonight. We pray as we study together that we all have open hearts to accept the truth and apply it in our lives. Be with Brother Art Adams as he speaks to us tonight, that he may be wise in the things that he says and have a good remembrance of the things that he's prepared. Help us all, Father, as we seek to know and do your will. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Art. Good to see you again tonight. I didn't scare anybody off, or if I did, somebody else filled your seat. Um, and appreciate you all being being here this evening. As Brother Greg said, the things that we're talking about this evening and last evening, uh, we're needing to talk very plainly about things that affect uh, husband and wife relationships, and also about preparing ourselves for marriage. If you are here tonight and you're single, you've not been married, then the person, if you plan to be married, the person that you marry will, is out there alive today somewhere. And I would just like for you to ask yourself, what would you like for them to be doing in order to prepare themselves to be married to you if you're a single person? And I think that's a pretty pertinent question. Last night, toward the end, we zipped through a, a, a wealth of material that uh, that actually kind of sets the basis for some of the things we're talking about tonight. And so I want to just talk a little bit uh, and uh, about men and women. You know, when I was growing up, we were uh, heard all kinds of lessons on what they called parking and petting back then. And if you're too, uh, too uh, new school to know what that is, that meant going out on a lover's lane and uh, seeing who could kiss whose head off uh, or how far you might be able to get. And so that was talked about a lot. Um, wherever you are, I hope you're hearing lessons uh, that would be to that same effect. Now tonight what I want to talk about is some of the dangers that happen that people get into before marriage that carry over into marriage. We talked about this a little bit last night. And that is uh, understanding 
that God says to flee fornication. Period. That doesn't mean to see how close you can come to it. That doesn't mean to flirt with it or to tease it. But it means that we need to avoid even the very appearance of evil. We need to keep ourselves pure. And I'm talking about those who are not married. Those who are married need to do that also, but more so those who aren't married right now. For men and women, men's sex drive is different than a woman's sex drive. A woman's sex drive is, uh, is largely driven by hormonal kinds of things. I didn't say women are hormonal, uh, but uh, it's driven hormonally. Uh, men, on the other hand, uh, have a little bit different, uh, different approach. I personally believe that most men go around trying to figure how not to be turned on. Now, you heard me right on that. Because if we went around looking to be how we could be turned on all the time, we'd be turned on most of the time, and we wouldn't get anything done. So most men, in order to be able to accomplish things, have to regulate their sexuality. But some men will go out here and open that door to where they have the eyes full of adultery. They're always looking uh, for that sexual experience or uh, that peekaboo moment uh, and how, wherever they might find it. Men are different in terms of their of their of the things that of how they how they uh, adapt sexually. That is that. Men can be a, can become addicted to their own body chemistry in much the same way that a person is addicted to heroin, to cocaine, or to methamphetamine, or alcohol, or any of the other drugs. But especially heroin and cocaine, uh, can, we can become addicted to sexual things just like we become addicted to the heroin or the cocaine. And that's where pornography crosses the line and become, can become an addiction. And here's how that happens. The sexual experience for a male causes certain hormones to be released in that male. This takes place in the head which means that your head is your probably your most prominent sexual organ. It's in your head. When a male gets turned on, then the brain releases dopamine. That's one of your neurotransmitters. It floods your brain with dopamine. That's your feel-good drug. And then right behind that, if the person continues to chase that sexual lust, right behind that comes another chemical called oxytocin. You don't have to remember this if you don't want to. Just remember you have chemistry. But the oxytocin is your bonding drug or your bonding chemical. It's what bonds you sexually to the person that you're with. Now here's the problem. If you are bound with an immoral person, or if you are bound to a picture or some digital kind of thing, then your brain is telling you that, that it's like that's where your glue is. You're glued with that. So later on then, after you've gone through whatever that pleasure principle is, then 
you have you have a bond, you have a connection with that thing. And because it brought you pleasure, you'll want to go back to that same thing over and over and over, just like a revolving door. Now there's another thing. During highly exciting sexual contact or sexual activity, there is another chemical that's called PEA. That's the abbreviation. I won't even try to pronounce the long technical name. But it is a chemical that is also released with the dopamine and with the oxytocin. And these chemicals in combination give a person a euphoric high that is much like a cocaine high. Now it doesn't take very much to figure out how these cross over to where you can become a sexual addict, you can chase the high just like an alcoholic is going to chase their alcohol, or someone that's on drugs is going to chase their drugs, People who are sexually addicted start chasing these feelings. Now here's a problem. When you get married, if you continue this, or even if you don't, and that has been your pattern, then your head has a bonding towards something besides your wife. And what that basically means is that your wife has a competitor. Now let me talk to single people just a moment. When we as single people are out flirting with our sexuality, playing with our sexuality, out here smooching each other's heads off, we're trying to see how far we can get with the grabbing and, and, uh, and uh, the grabbing stuff, then what is happening in that male is he is ready to perform. And this bonding stuff is already taking place in his head, and he's, he's becoming bound to it. That's where these intense things come in, to where when boyfriends and girlfriends break up, that you get all this lost puppy, uh, heartache, heartbreak, all that stuff. And it's often because we've, we've, we've not taking care of herself. We've not been fleeing fornication. We've been enticing fornication. So I just want to encourage you, if you're a single person, get to know the person that you're dating. By the way, you're very likely to marry someone you date. Did you know that? And so you want to be careful who you date, and you want to be careful what you do on a date. Now, a general truism is this, that once... Our head gets turned on once we get the lust going, then our brain stops functioning more at the intellectual level and starts functioning at the sexual level. You can almost tell it every time when, uh, when those uh, who, are, who are single, when they get caught up and they're getting too far, too far gone with their activity, long before you notice them touching or having to hold on to each other all the time, Long before that, what you will notice is they've stopped talking about things that are important. And the object of their being together is to see if they can smooch or hold on to each other or cuddle up together. And that becomes the object. And when that happens, 
then building the relationship takes the back seat to the sexual stuff. Was that clear? And so a person really could become intoxicated on their own sexual pleasure. Marriage, on the other hand, means that the man should not have to fight his temptation alone. When you marry, God gives you a pass. And he says, that which has been wrong now becomes right for you with one person. And what that means is that the man, First Corinthians 7, we talked about last night, the man gives, gives himself to his wife, and the wife's desire is to be to her husband. First Corinthians 7 says that, and it's mutual. Men and women both desiring one another in the marriage context. But that's the only context where God allows that which he strongly prohibits in every other relationship. Let me go back just a moment. If we take two males, a homosexual male uh, gay relationship, if we take males and they're involved in this turning each other on, then we have this thing that males have with all these chemistry, we have that happening times two when you have male to male. When you have a male to a female, then it's the male but the woman driven by the hormones, uh, and so, so those kind of lock in together. The wife in a marriage is the only person in the world that, the, that married man can look at sexually and find satisfaction with without compromise to his soul. Your desire is to be to your wife, and her desire is to be to you. And when you say, I do, the marriage vows usually go something like this. I promise to keep myself for you and for you alone until death shall us or do us part, or however you say that. Now look at that. That is a covenant promise. That is said in the presence of God that I will keep myself for you and you alone. You know what that means? That means I don't keep myself from me off in some dark corner looking at pornography. That means I don't keep myself from me and out at some strip club and somebody else. It means I keep myself for that person alone. That means that I don't even practice sex with myself because my promise is to you and you alone, not to me and you. Is that clear? Young people, please, please, please. We live in a sex-saturated culture. Please remember what God said. Flee fornication. But even if you aren't young, the message is to you too. Flee fornication. I talk with so many people that come and they have issues with pornography and it's bled over into other marital kinds of things. And what I find so often is that in the preparation for marriage, 
that one or both have not kept themselves sexually pure. And what I will find is that people uh, in this process, they may be technically virgins, but they have been out here playing with pornography and digital kinds of stuff, or they've been uh, tantalizing their sexual urges. And as a result, they have built patterns up in their life that they bring into the marriage. And then they find out in the marriage that they prefer the fantasy with themselves and the multiple people on the screen as they've served. They prefer that over the real thing that they should have saved themselves for in marriage. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. We need to remember who we are. The whole bunch of stuff we can say there about keeping ourselves pure. But by saying that, I have gotten majorly behind with our presentation. But I wanted to say that because I believe that's very urgent. The impact of pornography is that not only, uh, or that it is destructive to the person who uses it, and it's a four-step progression. The first step with pornography is the stimulation. In other words, we want to be tantalized or, uh, or we want to see uh, through the voyeurism. We want to, to look, look on the screen. The escalation comes when we realize that what we started with doesn't turn us on like other things. And so we start hunting for things that are worse and worse or deeper and deeper. That's like the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3 and 13, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Don't get me wrong here. Where you start is not where you'll stop. There are different phases of pornography. And usually it will start with something that is in proportion relatively mild, although it would be very shocking. Uh, they're looking at nude pictures or semi-nude pictures, uh, but then after a while, that doesn't get it. That doesn't turn you on because you're looking for something more and more progressive. And so we go to, to the trailers or to the, uh, to the uh, film clips, uh, or we may go to live chats or other kinds of things, but it continues to grow and to escalate as we feed this. Uh, and then what we find is that because we are chasing the more and more perverted, that the normal things that would turn us on, we have dulled our senses. It's very much like when the Bible talks about people whose conscience has been seared with a hot iron. That is, the things that should normally affect you and you should function like a normal human being is designed to do, you have burned those or cauterized that to where they don't do the job for you because you've become attached to something that is different or that is perverted. And so our senses become dull. When the senses become dull by, by viewing pornography and, and searching and getting deeper and deeper into it, what starts on the screen doesn't stop on the screen. And so we find the screen will introduce us to someone down the street that will come right down and see us. Or we'll find that there are people out there that will, uh, will sell you their favors. 
or we may find exotic clubs out here, or various other kinds of things that are, are out there, they're free, very perverted things that are out there. Uh, and so the sexual activity increases, it builds up as we feed the perverted stuff and we become numb to the normal God-intended stuff. Well, in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul talks in this passage, we're going to look at this, and what he says is that there is a union between a man and a woman. That there is a, he says, the one who is joined to a harlot is one body, but the one who is joined to his wife is one spirit, body and spirit, actually. And and that's the picture God paints. We're going to look at that verse in a moment. But here's what happens. When this married man and his wife, when they crawl in bed and they want to cohabit, there's somebody else in bed with them. And that person is in that husband's head. Sometimes he will act out his fantasies on his wife. And believe me, gentlemen, your wife knows when something's not right. She may not know what's wrong, but she knows something's not right. But here's this guy, and as he is with his wife, he's got these pictures flashing in his head of things he stored for another moment. Now you know what you know how you store those is when you're out here surfing with a mouse click and you're one picture to another picture to another picture, where one picture is not satisfying you. You go through a whole flash show until finally you have reached your uh, your uh, climax. Well, pornography does that. So when a husband and his wife get in, get together in bed, they want to be conjugal. Then this pornographic thing is still in that husband's head most of the time, and probably will be for a while. That's one reason why when people say, "Well, what do we do?" to get this thing under control. My recommendation is that you need to take a period of sexual abstinence from one another. Now here's why I say that. Because the body that has become accustomed to and enticed by those pictures needs to have a reset. And that can take place during a time of abstinence. The body chemistry gets, starts getting back in sequence during the abstinence. We're not feeding the, the sexual appetite, so the sexual things kind of get back in gear. It's like pushing a reset button. Well, not everybody agrees with me on that. I had one fellow said, no, that's bad advice. That what, what we need to do, yeah, we need to change frequency, but we need to do it more. <laughs> Sounds like a guy. And he and his wife, that's what they did, and, uh, and they found that worked for them. I would not recommend that, uh, because there's a healing needs to take place uh, with the husband and the wife, with the betrayed and the betrayer. <clears throat> but that pornographic image is in, in, in the person's mind, uh, the male's mind, and it's locked in on that experience. Now, what about the females? When females are unfaithful or have a history or a string of people or even one that is not the husband, then their picture shows can come up too. And the body memories for male and female come in. Did you know your body has a memory? 
People touch you a certain way, it reminds you of certain things. And so those can get triggered, especially when we're uh, cuddling or holding each other closely. All right. So in healing from betrayal, when your maid has cheated on you, whether they're male or female, males males sometimes have fidelity, uh, and the female is the culprit, and sometimes it's vice versa, sometimes it's both. But when you find out that your mate has been living a secret life, then there are some stages of grief that you go through. The first is shock. I cannot believe that my mate did this. And so it's just it's total shock. With that comes, I've been trusting them all this time. They've been looking me in the face and telling me how much they love me and I'm their one and only. And how can this be? And something vital gets broken here. It's called trust. I'll come back to that. But then grief sets in. Because it's kind of scary when you find out your mate has been out here involved in uh, sexual activity, even though it may be digital, with somebody else. And now we feel threatened or intimidated. It's like, wait a minute. If they're doing that, then is our marriage in trouble? And the answer is yes. Is our marriage in trouble? Yeah, it's in trouble. But then we begin wondering, what if they leave? Or should I leave? And if I leave, then what happens to our finances? What happens? How do we tell our friends? How do we tell the church? All those questions come up at times like this. Plus, we're pretty mad when we find that, find this out. Uh, we may in, instead say, you know what? Well, I'm, we're going to try to fix this. And so I recommend, I recommend first, is that when you're in a state of shock, divorce should not be the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Fact is, well, I recommend... We need to settle down to absorb what's happened and not be quick to go to the divorce court. Divorce doesn't solve this problem, especially up front. Now, there is there are grounds for divorce, but there are grounds, not necessarily this one. But what we want to look at is, how do we fix this marriage? That should be the first thing. Because when you got this going on, something's really broken here. And so how do we go about fixing or repairing the damage? This is a time that the man and the woman need to ask the question, what have I brought to the table? Did I contribute anything to this? And that's not to say that we blame the wife or the husband for the infidelity of the other. It's simply to say we need to ask the question, have I done something that has brought this to be? Do I play any part in this? And then a marriage can grow can grow, and can develop from this. I know of several who have had pornography in their marriage, who've had a lot of issues, and they decided we made a commitment to each other, we're going to stick it out, and we're going to try to get this thing resolved. But the way they do it is you've got to have trust restored. Now let me say this. When people 
come to me and talk with me about this, one of the first things that I will tell them is, don't try to restore trust right now. Leave it off the table. And usually they say, well, how can you have a marriage without trust? And I tell them my judge story. I was in a family group, conducting a family group, and there was a judge there. His son was a methamphetamine addict. And I made that statement to these alcoholics and drug addicts, to their families, that you cannot afford to trust them for the first year. And this judge spoke up. He said, Art, how, how are we supposed to have relationship if we don't have trust? And I looked at him and I said, you're a judge and you don't know that answer? Sometimes I'm sarcastic. I said, let me ask you this. Do you trust the people who come into your court? He said, absolutely not. He said, I work in the palace of perjury. I said, well, what do you do? He said, I require evidence. I said, that's the answer. So when betrayal has taken place, whether we like it or not, we have thrown the gauntlet down that says, this person can't trust us. And while we're trying, trying to repair the relationship, we have to act like we live in Missouri. You know Missouri is the show-me state? And we need evidence to believe. Someone says, what does that look like? I told one, one of uh, the people, I said, what that looks like is if you're down the street and she's wondering where you are, she can call you on your phone and say, where are you? And you say, well, I'm down, I'm visiting with my dad right now. Take a picture of him and send it right to me. Now, I got evidence. If you're where you said you are, you can snap a picture here. There was a young lady that she said, I can't trust my boyfriend. And, and it's like, all right, when he leaves one of his meetings and he tells you he's home, just tell him, all right, you're almost, you're pulling the driveway, you got three minutes to take a picture of the dog. <laughs> and so that could be a good use of a phone. And what that does basically is, that show me. Show me some reason why I would believe that. And if you've been asked to show someone and you've lost their trust, then just go with it. That's how trust gets rebuilt, and that will take place over time. There are actually seven levels of addiction. I'm going to look at two or three of those tonight. The higher levels are things like um, pedophilia, which is sex with children, or bestiality, or some really gross perversions, uh, such as snuffing people out. In other words, taking, snatching someone off the street and killing them during the sex act. That's one of the higher, higher uh, levels uh, of, of uh, sexual addiction. You see, where it starts looking relatively, relatively simple with just the nude pictures, and that's bad enough, it doesn't stop there. When you feed your appetite, your appetite will keep growing and getting more and more perverted. All right, level one of a sexual addiction is when the person is acting out. They're involved with their phone or with their uh, digital devices. And 
they're, what they're doing as they look at this, they are collecting the images and putting those photos in their head to be able to recall them later while they try to pleasure themselves. In this stage, it's pornography and it's fantasy, uh, fantasies and also uh, sex with yourself uh, during this. That almost always goes with it. By the way, this is not just men. <clears throat> Women tend to uh, get more into the relationship or the chat room kinds of things. It's one of the ladies I talk with, member of the church, who got online, she's in a chat room, and she fell in love with somebody in the Dominican Republic. And she got caught when the guy in, in Dominican decided to post their picture together on Facebook. And her husband saw it. Now he was hot to trot. He was mad. And, and you know, he should have been. Well, they're trying to work that out. Preoccupation with protecting your personal time. That's also in level one. In other words, you're starting to sneak around. You're uh, protecting that personal time. Someone walks in while you're on the computer and all of a sudden the computer's clicked off. That's protecting your personal time. Relationship intrusion is also involved because the more people get involved in their pornography, then the fewer friendships they have developing. Why? Because they're developing relationships online and human, human relationships take the back seat. Sometimes the husband will compare his wife to someone that he's seen in, in pornography. And he will prefer different uh, kinds of positions. Um, and the wife wonders, well, what's, what's this? We've never done that. And what he's doing, maybe doing, is acting out something he saw on the screen that particularly uh, turned him on. And he's acting that out with his wife. A lady the other day told me, so I don't know what's wrong with him lately. He wants to pull my hair. And he's never done that. And as we talked a little bit further, she told me some of the sites she's been on. I said, have you ever gone to those sites? And she said, no. She knew the sites. I said, let me print you off a picture of that. So if you ever check my computer, there is a site I went to for her sake. Uh, I'll look at Dan on that because we had to talk about that. All right. But, uh, but I printed that off and it's like, there you go. That's what was on that site. And he was acting that out with his wife. That's level one. All right. Then um, um, we talked about the, the same-sex relationship, homosexual stuff. Level two gets a little deeper. And that is that the person who has viewed porn for any length of time now begins to get numb, sexually numb to normal kind of sexual activity. And that will display itself by giving less physical affection to the wife. Usually that will come out in, well, I just want to, I want to cuddle. We don't cuddle anymore. Or, you know, we don't hold hands when we're walking anymore. Or something to that effect. And the guy is showing numbness because of this. Um, um, polarized emotions. That is, that he'll move real rapid swings. He'll go from happy to sad. Or he'll go from numbness where he feels nothing to anger where he feels rage and what that would indicate is he's feeling trapped now in his marriage 
because he's wanting to get out and explore some of those things he's seen on the screen. The numbness may cause him to dissociate, and there's a euphoria that he may try to chase in real life by calling up these images in his head, uh, and when he doesn't, he may find that he is very uh, emotionally numb. And then we have the compulsive acting out. And that can, uh, can be in a number of ways, but usually that goes off the screen or else stays on the screen in more and more perverted and very sick websites. And there are a number of those out there. And then here's another way that you can know if someone's cheating on you, and that is they'll tell half-truths, they will be manipulative, they will dodge the truth, they will answer only the question rather than the intent of the question, and then they will lie to cover up their act. Here's what, here's what that means. Like the fellow the other day, I don't know how that got on my computer, I must have a virus. I didn't do that. Somebody else must have been on my computer. Well, no. <laughs> but they'll lie. Now here's what happens. The wife then begins, or the other partner begins to wonder, am I losing my mind? Well, here's this stuff out there, and I want to believe him or her, but it just doesn't happen that way. But they look so sincere when they're talking. They can lie to you. And sometimes they're awfully good at it. Manipulation. Level two. We have a competitor. That is, instead of having the sex in the marriage, now we have some sex in the marriage, but we have the sex with ourselves also going on, and the desire is decreased as the sexual object is the fantasy. And what we can find is that it appears that the mate has become sexually anorexic. That is, that they look like they're just not interested in me anymore. And so there's an indifference to that. Uh, these usually have few, few friends and often no male friends. This is a guy. Um, and we'll find that there is unaccounted for finances. Now, that means a lot of things. First is, it means sometimes the guy or the woman will not disclose where the finances are. Sometimes they will disclose part of it. The one I talked about the other day uh, disclosed part of their finances, and as we dug down in the detail, the, uh, uh, the wife said, well, that's not all the money we spend. Uh, we have credit cards, yes. We have, have two or three. But you have other credit cards. It's like, well, what are these other credit cards? You know what he was doing? He was going down to one of the, the drug stores, and he was buying a Visa card, and he was putting cash on it. And it's like, well, what did you need that for? I got it figured out. Have you? He needed that credit card to go online and give him a credit card so he could be in his chat room. But that was unaccounted for money, he thought. She knew because she looked through his wallet and there was a card, but she didn't know what it was. Level three. Now we're getting more and more into this. We find compulsive behavior, uh, uncontrolled cyber porn use, and that can go up to 
anywhere from three, three to seven times a day. And this use is often used to, to deal with the feelings of stress and boredom and anxiety. And also, the, the interest is in the person out here on the Internet. All right, then we end up with strip clubs, we end up with prostitution, we end up with, when you're out of town, you call an escort service uh, for, uh, for services, or we get into teleporn, uh, and, and it just gets, it gets worse and worse from there. Uh, a lot of this I hesitate even to talk about. Highly high, uh, phone bills uh, being real high. Now, if you have unlimited calls, then that may not be as much, but you can see where calls are being made when you look when you do your call log. Okay. Then we have unexplained things like somebody's clothes are showing up um, in a suitcase or showing up under the bed or whatever. There uh, sometimes is a loss of a job because someone is on the server at work or on the computer at work and they're out here looking at porn. And then finally, legal problems can come from this, especially if they're getting sicker and sicker by, see, by popping up people that are younger and younger. And yes, the police do come to your door for some of these things. Well, all right, there's some things that travel together. I'm not going to go into all these, but pornography and relationship addictions and betrayal do not usually travel by themselves. Where you find one, you will find more than one. And so, uh, we will find maybe uh, drinking goes on. These are percentage of times these were linked together. Um, or you may find eating disorders uh, that go with this all the way from uh, bulimia or anorexia. We're trying to look more sexy, um, maybe for uh, snapshots that we're putting online. Uh, sometimes people will get involved in compulsive work. They're trying to run from the problem and then compulsive spending or overspending, and sometimes gambling uh, is also involved. So why, why do this? And one of the simple answers is, life is very boring, and so I'm turning to those things that will cause me to be uh, more stimulated. Uh, life is not satisfied. I'm bored. I'm not happy. Things are too routine. Uh, uh, I'm mad. And so, uh, so we end up with all these unpleasant things uh, that we bring in as well. Uh, we're just we're trying to figure out a way out of the marriage, but we don't want to be the one to say it's over. All right. Well, there's some reasons people give for sexual addiction. Um, this particular uh, section here is really on this slide all together. We showed this last night. And the point is, just like dominoes that are falling, these things tend to go in a sequence. And that's how we can kind of assess and figure out where a person is. So they start with the visual trigger. Something, I saw something today, and it got me to thinking. And so I've captured that image. It's in my mind, and I'm feeding on that. And then the pain in my life, come, uh, I'm reminded of the pain I may be bored, I may be anxious, I may be depressed, and so I want to get rid of that, uh, and what I'll do is I'll keep chasing the fantasy. I'm self-medicating, if you would. Start hunting for some object to lust after, make my connection online or offline, and then have my activity uh, all the way to 
my sexual satisfaction, and then I have a letdown. After it's all over, guilt, shame, sometimes I've got, to, I've got really got to get this under control. And then uh, we may make a vow, I'm not going to do this again, and then we break that vow and we get right back into the cycle over, over time. Sometimes this cycles very quickly. Uh, for one young man, he had, he had taught himself how to cycle through this seven times a day. Seven times a day. That's a pornography addiction. All right. In terms of breaking pornography or sex with, and sex with self, the individual needs to come to their own assistance. That is, they are, they are the one responsible to get the help. Someone asked, what does that have to do with betrayal? It has this to do with betrayal. Sometimes the mate thinks it's my job to get them help. But it's not your job. You're not in control of this. The one who's doing it is. And so they're the ones that need to take that responsibility. As long as you do it for them, they don't have to do it for themselves. And they'll stay sick. And if you do it for them and it doesn't work, guess whose fault it is? It's your fault. So that's where the person needs to take responsibility for what they're doing. By the way, they're not likely to, to get over it on their own. Talked to a guy the other day. He said, oh yeah, I used to have a really bad porn problem, but I, I got over it because I realized it was hurting my wife. That answer was way too simple. He just quit. You can't go that deep into it and just quit and not have another problem for a number of years. It doesn't work that way. Just like the alcoholic is trying to put down the alcohol, or the cocaine addict or the heroin addict is trying to step away from their drug, you don't just stop. That happens, but it happens extremely rarely. Get help. Getting help means that the individual needs to confess their faults to a trusted brother or to a group of them. James 5.16 says that. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Here's what this does. That gets the secret that has been inside. It gets it outside. That also sets you up for an accountability partner, someone that you can call and talk to when you're in trouble. Now that person is not there to judge you. That person is there to help you and to call things like they really are. And you'll need to find somebody like that because your best thinking is going to keep you sick. You'll be okay part of the time. But that's not, that's not when I'm as concerned. There are times that you are weak. Sometimes people go into a treatment program, and there are those around. Uh, and sometimes there are uh, programs that you can go and you can, you can actually live there. Or people will go and get in some kind of a uh, recovery help program. And by the way, if the husband is in a program, the wife also needs to be in a program. 
And those programs are intended to help walk you through those experiences with those who have been through the experiences similar to yours. Be honest with yourself uh, and con confront the issues. Don't act like if we ignore it, it'll go away. All right. There are some necessary changes. As the betrayed person is trying to come to terms with this, there are some questions they need to, to deal with. What are our beliefs about sex? And in, as we talk with them intimately in, in treatment, we ask these questions. What are your beliefs? And here's what I find out. People who hadn't had the talk, they've been told, this is bad, this is dirty, stay away from it until you're married. And then they get married, but they haven't, still hadn't had the talk. And in their mind, they're thinking, this is really dirty. And what they don't realize is that sexuality and intimacy go together. Sexuality is not something we do in a dark room that's apart from our spirituality. Our sexual expression to our husband or wife is a part of our spirituality. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 is about. That's what 1 Corinthians 6 is about as well. So we need to go back and explore, what are your core thoughts about this? And for the husband, we need to go, may need to go back and to have a talk with him about, you know, there, uh, there, there are stages before you get to the very sex act. And such things as foreplay are very important. There are many husbands who virtually rape their wives because they under, don't understand the process of getting together and getting ready to enjoy this union together. I'll be talking to, and I have talked to a number of men. I've had men's classes, and we kind of have sex ed from the Bible perspective. And many people have never had that, had that knowledge or that talk. Uh, but it is so vital, so vital to good relationships. Um, so we, we explore all that uh, in, in these things. Coming to terms with our past. Sometimes people have been out here, they've been very, very uh, provocative. Uh, in their past life. And they may be carrying multiple relationships uh, and they need to come to terms with the past. But here's, here's a piece of the past that I haven't found very many married people who've ever done this. Married people who before they were married were out here seeing how far they could get and sometimes got way too far and they've never repented of it. I see that a lot. I do doesn't mean I repent. Some husbands and wives owe each other a, a heartfelt repentant, I'm sorry, with a godly sorrow because they awakened something before it was supposed to be awakened. And they can't figure what's wrong with their marriage. And sometimes that's one of the very things that is a wedge. All right. Well, the family then adapts maladaptive roles. And by that, what we mean is we start avoiding each other or we try to smother each other because this betrayal thing is going on in a marriage. I see many marriages 
this is my statement, and families on the brink of divorce, most people wait until their dirty little secret spins out of control into a big, traumatic mess before they do something about it. What starts out as just me and pictures can destroy a family. And sadly, there are some marriages that don't make it. If there is stuff in your house that doesn't belong in your house, you need to get it out. And you need to do that for your children to find it, or your grandchildren. A number of people, oh, I came across uh, my, my dad's or my grandfather's or my mom's uh, stash of all the pornography. And it just, you know what that does to a kid? To find that kind of stuff that is their parent stuff? And what would be even worse is if you find it and then they deny it or lay it back on the kid and then that kid has learned not to trust the parent because the parent will lie. And I know it's theirs. And we got big problems going on in the home when that kind of thing happens. Here's a metaphor. Like smoke filling a room, it starts slowly. And then it will fill the room even through a crack. But over time, it completely swallows the air in the room. And if there's a big crack, it'll fill the room more quickly. And what I'm suggesting here is a little bit of stuff coming in the home that doesn't belong can destroy that home. Clearly, then, we must say that for homes where pornography is going on, the thing we are playing with is not playing with us. In Bible terms, Paul talked to, talked to the Corinthians about how Satan builds strongholds in our lives. Now, stronghold is a fortress. And as we bring more and more of this salacious literature and this pornography and all the things that have come, and as we bring more and more into our lives, what we do is we build a fortress or we build a pagan temple, maybe, where we have this as idolatry that is in our very house. First Peter 5, verse 8. Satan goes around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I want to tell you something if you don't already know it. He's after your children. And he's after your husband. And he's after your wife. And he's after grandparents. You see, this isn't just a sin of young people. There are some well up in their 70s that have some of these issues. And perhaps older. Okay? Witch, drunkenness and witchcraft, all that go in here. And what, uh, what we're told is that we need protection from the snare of the devil. Snare is a trap. And our computer can be that trap. Peter said this. There's not 41 verses in First Peter, in Peter, First Peter 4. That one's on the wrong side here. Okay. Um, here's what, how Peter put it. For the time already passed is sufficient for you. He says enough is enough. Enough of what? To have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. In other words, enough is enough. Quit living like a heathen. 
having pursued a course, look at this, of sensuality, is that what this is? Of lust, is that what this is? Drunkenness and carousing and drinking parties and abominable idolatries, is that what this is? And then he says, here's how the world's going to look at you. Sessions like this, there's people out there who say, why well, y'all are crazy? Why do you make such a big deal out of this? In all this, we're warned, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation or riot, and they malign you. The world thinks, when we talk on this subject, that we're just making an issue where there isn't an issue. The world thinks that they should laugh at us because we make such a big deal out of this. And they wonder, well, why can't you just go along with the rest of us? That's what the world's going to do. But we don't live like the world. We live for the Lord. We talked about trust. Uh, other things go with, uh, with betrayal, such things as abandonment, um, uh, uh, the image of the family being broken as people realize we've got a problem in our home. And sometimes they avoid us because they don't know what to say. Or sometimes they avoid us because they've judged us. And sometimes they come near because they want to help us. But it create, creates a disequilibrium in the family when something like this is going on. Now when mom and dad are fussing about this betrayal thing, and they're trying to come to reconciliation, and there are other people in that family, those little ears, or sometimes big ears, they hear what's going on. And what it tells them is, this is what it's like to be married. And they carry that image as they move forward. A gentleman uh, re very recently said, well, you know, yeah, my wife and I, we really, we really have some, uh, some uh, really strong fights about this, but it's not affecting the kids. And then the kids will come and say, Art, can I talk to you? And I wonder, what do they want to talk to me about? And it's like, you know, I can't put up with what's going on at home. You know, I know what my mom's doing. I know what my dad's doing. And, you know, it's like I feel like the adult in the house. And the parents don't know what's going on. The other daughter in that particular family uh, said, can I talk to you? She said, I am so angry. It's like, well, why are you so angry? And she talked about what was going on and the infidelity that was happening in the marriage. Children get affected. And children can sense it before they can hear conversation about it. Be careful that we don't destroy our own families because of a computer or because of a cell phone. Well, all these kinds of things go in. First Corinthians 7, 1 and 2 is pretty explicit. And what it says is that this is to be in the marriage. Let's read this together. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of the temptation to immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not rule over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not rule over his own body, but the wife does. Do not refuse one another 
except it be by consent for a season that you may devote yourself to prayer, fasting prayer, and then come together again, lest Satan tempt you, tempt you through your lack of self-control. That's from a different version than you may usually read. But that's what God says on this. And what he says is, I put the sexual relationship in the marriage, and it needs to be exercised in that marriage by both the husband and the wife. And otherwise, you can put yourself in a position of grave temptation in the marriage. We talked last night how some who are not married have made themselves as eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. Now, eunuch is a male uh, who's been castrated, if you would. And, uh, and they've kind of lost, lost their desire. And some, he says, need to make themselves like that. If you're not going to be married, then this is what you need to do. And First Corinthians 7 again talks about this. To the unmarried and widows, I say it, uh, I say it is well for them to remain single as I do. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. That doesn't say if you can't exercise self-control, go look at your computer. If you can't exercise self-control, then you need to be in a marriage situation where the sexuality is. For it is better to marry than to be in a flame with passion. First Corinthians 7, 8 and 9. That's what God says. Refrain from fornication. Uncleanness and adultery, those are all sexual terms. All right, recovery from betrayal, and I realize we're past our time here. Here are some questions. If you find your mate or someone else's mate, someone's talking to you and say, well, yeah, they've, they're viewing porn again, then you may want to have them to fill in some of these blanks. This is a self-inventory I use with people. And I ask them, to fill in these blanks. I am angry because. I'm defensive because. I'm sad. I'm anxious. I'm worried. I'm guilty. I'm ashamed. I'm teachable. All those because. Now, if you're working with someone, you may want to have them fill those in. And what that will do is that will start opening up dialogue for things that you can talk about. Okay. Making amends is about recovery from betrayal. And what that means is we need to look at our side of the street, what did I bring to this equation, and then others need to, uh, the mate needs to look, uh, look also at that. Uh, look at areas in your marriage where you need to have more discussion. Forgiveness is not something that is said. It is something that is done. And I say that because sometimes people say, well, will you forgive me? I guess so. But don't do it again. And then the very next time there's an argument, they bring it back up. That's not forgiveness. So forgiveness involves humility. It involves repentance. John, when he saw the Pharisees, he said, you need to bring forth fruits that demonstrate your repentance. So there are fruits. There are evidences if you would. It's not trust. It's evidences. There's our word again. Evidence that I've changed. Now the one who has been doing the cheating with this stuff, that's the one that needs to bend over backwards to produce the evidences 
that caused the person to believe that this issue is being addressed. Now, let me say this. As in any other addiction, most addictions have a period of either a lapse or a relapse. So a person may say it's over, and then a few months, years, whatever later, they may go right back in the same thing, and you may catch them again. That doesn't necessarily mean they didn't fix it the first time. It means they got caught up in the same thing again, because their mind, that old amygdala in the midbrain, remembers how to do this, and will always remember how to do it. And so when things are, once you've done it, but when things are bad, we'll go back to old habits. All right. We talked about how the women prefer the chat rooms and the men prefer the pictures or the trailers. Last night, in the very end, we talked about some various helps you can get. Ideally, our help would be with church people. And so we would go to elders, we would go to uh, those who are church leaders uh, or who are trusted go-to people, and we would talk with them about that. I would ask, as I did in one congregation, would all the older ladies raise your hand? And when I asked that question, nobody raised their hand. There was a 94-year-old lady in the audience, and she didn't raise her hand. Here's what I want you to say. Ladies don't like to admit I'm one of the older ones. So I looked at a 16-year-old, and I pointed at her and said, you're an older lady. And everybody looked at me like, what, where'd you get that? And I said, you're older than she is. She was only 12. You who are 16 can teach a 12-year-old how to be a Christian during those last four or five years. You can do that. And that's your responsibility before God. Don't wait till you walk around with a cane and say you're older. You do it now. Those of you who are in the mid-20s, you're an older lady. And you can help the teenagers and those who are coming up and show them the way. And so on and so forth, on up, on up the ladder. But we need to teach each other. And I'll tell you, and I said last night, one of the worst things we have is these things. This brings us to the world, and it brings the world to us at the click or a, a scroll on these things. And I want to suggest that you may want to have a no digital device home. You may want to put some very solid rules on, on these. And basically, let's start talking again. Does anybody sit around the family dinner table anymore? That's where a lot of family conversations used to take place. It's where you got to know each other. It's where Grandpa would tell the same joke five times. And you'd laugh every time because that was a nice thing to do. Anybody have a grandpa like that? <laughs> or maybe we'd go out and sit on the, as my great-grandmother used to call it, the pies. You don't know what a paisan is. It's a porch. That's a French term she picked up from some of her French heritage. Go out and sit on the porch. Watch the fireflies. Smell the fresh mown hay. Enjoy the flowers. Enjoy one another. Get to know one another. 
those cell phones and this electronic stuff have basically robbed us of ourselves and of one another. Well, these are some things that you can uh, participate in. As we said last night, these uh, PowerPoints are, uh, can be made available to you. And then in getting help, uh, Sex and Love Addict Anonymous is a good one. Here's the information on that. Uh, and the SAA, or the SA, is one that I would strongly recommend, Sex Sexaholics Anonymous. And there is a major annual convention that takes place right up the road in Nashville. People come from all over the country to that. And it's about a four-day time that people that are having these problems in their marriages, they come together, they learn how to talk to the people they're sponsoring, they learn help for themselves, and they share uh, their journeys, the strengths and failures of their journey along the way here. But I would leave you with this tonight. And that is that God has given us, hopefully, good sense. But sometimes we don't exercise it. And we get caught up in Satan's snares out there, and we are paying an awful price. An awful price. It's destroying our homes, our marriages, and more so, our relationship with God. Thank you for letting me talk to you. I know I've gone over tonight, but thank you so much.